Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you here uh, today. Good to see some people haven't seen in, in, a, in a and good to see some, <laughs> some old friends. Great to see you guys. Um, it is good to be here. Thank you for being here. I appreciate that, that you've made being here a priority of all the other things that you could be doing this morning. It's encouraging uh, to all of us here uh, to, to see your face and to be encouraged by your presence. Uh, last week's message was titled, The Lord Makes Us Confident. This week's title for today's message is, The Lord Makes Us Even More Confident. Not the most creative title for today's message, but it illustrates what's happening here in Psalm 23. Last week, David showed us that we can have true confidence in a messed up world with messed up lives because the Lord is our shepherd and he is with us. He provides, he guides, and he protects us. This week, David shows us how we can have even more confidence. We've been looking at the 23rd Psalm, one of the best known poems in the world, and it's usually misunderstood because most people think it's a psalm for deathbeds and gravesides, but it's a psalm about the living, living with confidence, no matter what this messed up world throws at you, confidence, even in the face of death. Today, we come to verse 5. Verse 5 of this poem where David writes, You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And when it comes to this passage, we're going to ask three questions. And the first question is this. What is the Christian's confidence? Well, this verse paints a new picture for us. Until now, David's been using uh, the picture of a shepherd. And, and when he uses the picture of the shepherd in this first point, he's kind of driving home his first two declarations of confidence. That the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and I shall not fear. Now, he pushes, as he pushes this confidence even more, he drops the shepherd imagery. And what's the new picture that David uses? Look at it. We have a table, we have oil, we have a cup. This right here is a picture of a meal. I can get into that. But this is not just any meal. The mood at this meal is abundant joy. When we look closer, we see that it's a well-set table with festive anointing oil and a cup brimming with, full with wine, overflowing with wine. This here is a celebration feast. So what are we celebrating? David says, you prepare all of this in the presence of my enemies. You know, maybe this is a picture of being calm and cool under like intense pressure, having so much confidence that even in the face of looming warfare, he can rest and enjoy a good meal because he's confident that the Lord's vast resources are available to him in even the worst of situations so he doesn't have to sweat it. Well, that's true, but this is not feasting before a battle, this is feasting after 
a battle. This feast right here is a victory celebration. And the present enemies are defeated, humiliated, captured oppressors. Just as David drew on his experience as a shepherd, now he's drawing on his experience as a warrior king. Back then, after a victorious battle, the warrior king would lead a great procession back to his city and to his throne. His people would be lined up along the road, singing and and cheering and celebrating the victory. The warrior king leads the procession. He is followed by his victorious army, followed by the spoils of war, followed by the defeated, captured oppressors. The warrior king would then ascend his throne and celebrate with his people by having a a great, joy-filled victory feast. That is what David wants us to see here when he writes these words in Psalm 23. And he wants to increase our confidence uh, and secure our confidence, establish our confidence even more. And the declaration that he is making here, the declaration of confidence here is, I shall be victorious. You shall be victorious. Now, you understand that yet. We don't understand that as much as we should. So we're going to unpack that a little bit by looking at this declaration in, the, in context Do you remember what happened right before the celebration here in verse 5? It was the dark valley in verse 4 when David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Last week, David said, whatever dark valleys he faces in life, he will not fear because the shepherd is with him and he provides and he guides and he protects. And now he goes even further because it's one thing to survive a threat and it's another to turn that into victory. The Christian's confidence is not just that you are going to get through this dark valley. Your confidence is that you will ultimately be victorious over all of your dark valleys. Do you believe that this morning? Maybe you're wrestling with a little bit of doubt. Maybe you're even cynical about it. We're going to wrestle with that. And here's what I know. This, this, maybe it's just, well, it's not just me. I know people well enough. We all struggle with the fear of failure, Right? That when it's all over, you'll feel like your life was filled with disappointment, unfulfilled dreams, unfulfilled goals. And maybe you wonder if your your whole life was a failure. We fear that. And so that's why we all get so discouraged when we experience major setbacks. But here's the deal. If you are a Christian, you can have confidence that not only will you survive, you will thrive. You might not see that right now, but this is the promise. Has God made good on his promises to you so far? He's going to make good on this promise also. What this is telling us is that darkness and defeat 
will not have the last word in your life. It may look like it at times, huh? Some of you might be in the middle of that right now. But that's only because the darkness hides the big picture. The truth is, no matter what this world throws at you, no matter what kind of cards you are are dealt, no matter how big your mess is right now, not only will you get through, you will be victorious. And what about confidence as we face the dark valley of death? Our confidence is that not only will you survive this final enemy, but you will be victorious. David's confidence and your confidence is nothing less than the assurance of resurrection victory. And it's that confidence of future victory that leads to present joy, even in the midst of your messed up life in this messed up world. Look at David's use of language here. He says, you prepare, you anoint, my cup overflows. He's using present tense. I mean, has he already experienced this victory celebration? I mean, to some extent, there's been, you know, some victory in his life, which kind of serves as a preview to this future ultimate victory celebration. And the truth is, if you know anything about David, he's experienced plenty of defeat, military defeat, relational defeat, family defeat, spiritual defeat. But even in the midst of a life with defeats, he reflects on the big picture, the final dark valley, and the victory's resurrection. And so now he can experience a preview of that joy right now, even while he is in the middle of Dark Valley. I'm telling you this morning, I want to convince you, and I want to convince myself that this can be true for us as well. I know I needed this message And I know that if I need it, most of us do, because we all struggle with the same things. Even though you have, you have tears of sorrow because of deep pain or disappointment, because you live in a, in a messed up world, because of the promise we have from God, it cannot crush you it cannot crush ultimately your joy because you know there's a great victory and victory celebration in your future. The problem is we forget that, don't we? Or it might be a fleeting thought and we just really don't believe it. I mean, maybe we agree with it. We have the right answer for the quiz or the test or whatever it is. And we'll argue for that answer, say that it's right, but functionally, so often, we just don't believe it. Or we get distracted. And then all we can see is what's messed up in the world. You know, as I was preparing this message, I mean, yesterday I, put, I, spent, a good ch- I spent a good chunk of time on this message. And I, I was, 
you know what? I'm reading more about people who like journal. I never journaled before because I thought you had to be a 14-year-old girl with a diary <laughs> to, to journal, you know, with one of those little locks on it. But I keep uh, reading about how uh, wise people who grow in wisdom and people who grow in effectiveness in their life uh, journal and reflect on their, on their life. And I just started, and I've got this uh, uh, a journal that comes with questions. And one of the questions was, how do you feel? I don't like thinking about that. Because when I do, I realize how joyless I am in that moment. At least I was then. I just started writing all of these reasons of why I'm joyless. And then I had to work on this stupid sermon <laughs> about joy. God is, have you noticed God has been messing with me over the last few weeks? The thing is, is you know, after I got home last night, you consider the amount of joy that, that David and God, our Lord, wants us to have. I was feeling like exact opposite of that once I got home. Right after I was working on this message, and I was wondering, why in the world, why in the world would I say anything at all to you about having joy and enduring joy when last night I struggled with joylessness? This morning, got up early, went into my office, and was going over this, and I realized that, that I needed to be reminded of what happens when I lose sight of the Lord's victory and only see everything that's messed up. And when I wallow in that. And I remembered that I really believe that it's helpful for you all to see that, that your pastor struggles with this just like you do, so that you can see that, that, that if your pastor can be encouraged when he remembers the Lord's victory, you can be encouraged too. Because we're the same. I might be standing this much higher than the, the rest of you, but that does not mean that I'm on a pedestal. I certainly should not be. We're in this together and we encourage each other. And we remind each other of the joy we have when we focus on the victory we have in the Lord and how miserable it is when we lose sight of that. That's why, that's why church community is so important. You can't do church by yourself. Second question of the three. Why is the Christian confident of victory? This is critical, and here's why. The foundation of your confidence will determine the strength of your confidence. The foundation for your confidence will determine the strength of your confidence. My, my confidence wavers when I base it on a foundation that wavers, like my, my track record of success and failure or whether or not I had a good night's sleep. Right? David says the secret, the secret of his bold, invincible confidence is this. 
that the Lord is my warrior king. The Lord is my warrior king. He says, I am absolutely confident that I will be victorious over all of the dark valleys, even death, for one simple reason, that the Lord is my warrior king. Do you remember what we've been talking about, the overarching logic of Psalm 23? The Lord is, I shall. And if that's all that we ever had, we'd have enough to face dark valleys and say, you know what, you might knock me down, but you're not going to knock me out. We'd have enough. Because like David, our confidence is not based on status or talent or looks or how much of a warrior we may or may not be. It is based on the existence and the character of, of God. The covenant relationship between God and us. The Lord is, therefore, I shall. Right? And the whole psalm is structured around that logic. The Lord is, I shall not want, I shall not fear, I shall be victorious. Do you see the progression here? The, the march of confidence? The scene in the first part of Psalm 23 of this, uh, in this poem is, is, is life in a hostile environment, but our shepherd provides, guides, and protects. Uh, we have peace in the face of death, even in death, uh, in death because he is with us. And now the scene after death, the Christian declares, I shall be victorious because the Lord is my warrior king. He not only brings you through death, but he will give you victory over death. If you've read the scriptures at all, you would see, especially in the Old Testament, that God is revealed as a warrior king. And a clear example is David's confrontation, his battle with Goliath. Goliath represents the, Philipp the, Phil the Philippines. Probably not the Philippines. <laughs> Goliath represents who? There you go. Philistines. I was just quizzing you all. Goliath has everything you'd look for in a warrior. He is large. He is powerful. He's experienced. He has the best weapons. He was impressive. David represented the Israelites because no one else would, because everyone else was afraid, and so would I. He was small and experienced. His weapon was a slingshot. He had no armor. But David knew that he was not alone. Listen, listen to his confidence in what he says to Goliath. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines to this day, or this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And what happens? David kills him and cuts off his head. And it was, be, it was not because David was so awesome. It's because the Lord was. 
And David's victory over Goliath points to a greater victory. That's what all, the, all of the Old Testament stories should do. David's victory over Goliath points to a greater victory. The real enemies of God's people are sin, death, and judgment. All the heroes of the Bible, like Moses and Joshua and, and David, could not bring deliverance from sin, death, and judgment because they're all sinners too in need of a warrior king just like we are in need of a warrior king. And so David anticipates this greater victory by the ultimate warrior king when he writes things like what we find in Psalm 110 when he says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And Isaiah the prophet put it this way, Yahweh saw that there was no man and, and wondered that there was no one to intercede, that his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal like a cloak. And according to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries and repayment to his enemies, all to deliver his people from oppression. And on that day, Isaiah says, there will be a great victorious celebration feast. Listen to how Isaiah describes it. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in salvation. It is that celebration over death itself when David wrote these words that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. That's why we can have confidence. Do you believe that this morning? My last question, all right? How can we have this victorious confidence? Especially if you're not feeling it right now. Especially if you're just not moved by it right now. Especially if you might be taking it for granted right now. Or if you're apathetic toward it right now. Or you're just cynical about it right now. Or you're just viewing it as something you've heard Pastor Matt say a billion times. Well, what's your response to this truth? Is it meh? Or does it fire you up? If it doesn't, I'm telling you, even if I were the best, you know, 
preacher in the, in the world. There's something else going on. And that's something we need to reflect on. We need to examine our own hearts. How can we be fired up? How can we have this victorious confidence? I'm telling you, nothing I've said so far will enable you to experience and grow in biblical confidence of victory. So how can we? Two things. First of all, stop making treaties with other kings. Step one. Stop making treaties. We do this all the time. David says, David says here to Yahweh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. What he's saying here is, the, is that the Lord and the Lord alone is my warrior king. But over and over and over again, what we see in the Old Testament, God's people looked to other kings to deliver them from their enemies. When they were threatened by bigger armies, they, they entered treaties with foreign powers and they paid them tribute in exchange for protection rather than trust in the Lord to be their warrior king. And it was always devastating. We do this all the time. Why, why do we experience, why do you and I experience so little joy? We are fearful of failure and so, and so discouraged, you know, when it happens because we've made treaties with other kings. Don't blame your circumstances. Don't blame somebody else. Your life is messed up right now. So easy for you to go, it's, my life is messed up just because of, of them. L look at the bigger picture. Look at what's going on. This is a gracious, loving diagnosis. You know what? We might serve the achievement king who says, you know what? Bring me tribute of high achievement in school, sports, career, ministry, and I'll give you the joy of success. Or the approval king who says, you know, bring me the tribute of pleasing people, you know, living up to their expectations, and I'll give you popularity, and people will like you, and you'll be filled with joy. Or the comfort king who says, bring me the tribute of earning a lot of money, then you can have nice things and security and status, and I'll give you the joy of success. Or the relationship king who says, bring me the tribute of the right person or the right relationship, and I'll give you that deep sense of being loved and the joy of being significant. But I'm telling you, these kings never, ever deliver. And it's worse than that. These kings manipulate you and they tease you and they dangle a carrot and they give you maybe moments that seem like joy or seem like victory, but then they demand more tribute, achieve a little more, perform a little better, then I'll give you joy. And they enslave you. And none of these kings can bring you through the valley of death because the grave swallows up all of these kings and all of the tribute you ever paid to them. Listen, you and I, we cannot experience the joy of victory until you can say, until we can say with David, the Lord and the Lord alone is my, my, my warrior king. Step one, we must stop making treaties with other kings. Second and last, trust in the victorious warrior king. Trust in the victorious warrior king. Okay, so we've been in Psalm 23. Let's go, to the, let's go back one book or one chapter to Psalm 22. 
Verse 1 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sound familiar? Jesus said this on the cross. He was quoting Psalm 22. And as you read Psalm 22, here's what's amazing when you read through Psalm 22. I encourage you to read it maybe later this afternoon. And when you do, you will realize you are closer to the cross than you are in the Gospels. Because you're not just, you know, in the Gospels looking and observing at the one who gave up his life, but here you are in his mind, and you are in his heart, and you are sharing and seeing his suffering as he says, all who see me mock me. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. I am poured out like water. They have pierced my hands and feet. See, Jesus is the true warrior king. He descended from his throne in heaven and he came to earth to do battle with our enemies. And in the gospel, we see him engaged in holy war, but it's not a holy war like most people would consider it to look like or be like. His war was resisting temptation and healing the sick and calming the storm and raising the dead and casting out demons. The kingdom has come with power because our warrior king has come with power. He then enters the valley of the shadow of death and meets the last enemy head on on a hill called Calvary. And there our warrior king gives his life for us in a battle to destroy death itself. It is only when you've seen... It is only when you have been lovingly broken and humbled before the crucified warrior king that you can then be filled with the confident joy of ultimate victory. Please, please keep that in mind as you're going through it. If you know someone who is going through it, please remind them that that, is, that does not define them. Look to the warrior king who conquered over those valleys. And what we see here is that Psalm 22 led to Psalm 23. And then Psalm 23 leads to Psalm 24 where it reads, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? In other words, who, who shall enter into God's presence and the great celebration feast he has prepared? And verse 4 answers, With he who has clean hands and a pure heart. There was only one with a pure heart and his clean hands were nailed to the cross. Only he can ascend and he has. If you look at verse seven, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. Why? That the king of glory may come in. The warrior king who has given his life in battle is alive. He has ascended his throne, leading a great procession to an eternal victory celebration. That is our king. I love how these psalms are connected by the gospel. 
Psalm 22, your warrior king gives his life in battle for you. In Psalm 23, your warrior king is alive and leading his people and walking them through dark valleys, even the dark valley of death. And in the next one, Psalm 24, your warrior king is leading his people into glory. Why? To give his glory to his people and make them more like himself. You might be wallowing in it right now. Your life might be a mess right now. But, but Paul affirms this promise when he says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. That is your hope because that is the promise of God and God always keeps his promises. And we have not even yet begun to know how victorious we are in him. In this life, we get a preview of it, but one day we will experience it to its fullest. Stop making treaties with other kings and trust in the victorious King Jesus. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out his followers on a mission when they, were when they returned, they're stoked and they're high-fiving each other. And they said to Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus says, you know, I give you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That is your warrior king talking to you. Hear him. Trust him. If you do know that your names are written in heaven. And you know what? It doesn't matter how much confidence you have or don't have in your messed up life, in our messed up world, because it all depends on him and he has already won. How long have I been going, Josh? Do I got three more minutes? Maybe less. I lived in South Bay for a long time. Uh, my most recent house in South Bay was in National City off a of division right off of the 15. And just up a couple exits off 15, there's this big pink church. It says Calvary Baptist on it in black letters. Have you guys seen it? Like two, three minutes away. And uh, I remember the, the pastor for many, many years was S.M. Lockridge. I remember he uh, uh, came to our, our, our church that I was serving at at the time with his choir, and they just blew the doors off that place when he preached, when they sang. It was just amazing. And he wrote a sermon called That's My King. I've just got a short excerpt from it. He just really drives it home. He says, The Bible says, my king is the king of righteousness. He is the king of the ages. He is the king of heaven. He is the king of glory. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's my king. Well, I wonder, do you know him? David said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. 
He's enduringly strong. He's internally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's awesome. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tired. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and he sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He forgives sinners. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. He serves the unfortunate and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. Well, my king is the king. He is the key to knowledge. He is the wellspring to wisdom. He is the doorway of deliverance. He is the pathway of peace. Well, I pro- his promises are true. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. I wish I could describe him to you but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah, that's my king. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? And when you get through with all of the forevers, amen and amen. You are, no matter what you're going through, you are more than conquerors through King Jesus, our Lord. That is your greatest confidence and joy. And one day you will see him Face to face, you will be in the presence of your king and you will celebrate with him. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?